Among the things I'd like to talk about with Craig Gottwalls, we call him Craig the Healthcare Guru, who's been joining us for many, many years, attorney at law and benefit consultant, Benefit Revolution. As a healthcare policy attorney with an emphasis in employment law and a benefit consultant, Craig Gottwalls specializes in benefit cost containment and compliance. It's his job to figure out what is actually happening and predict what is going to happen, regardless of his wants. Because he's got to advise clients so they can uh, prepare for that sort of thing. Craig, welcome to the Armstrong and Getty Show once again. Thanks, Jack. I think I think you might uh, surpass Joe as best uh, best introduction of me yet. I don't know. Now it's a competition. Yeah, you get no you get no benefit for that sort of flattery. Um, uh, fair to describe the mental health care situation we've got in America as a crisis. Yes, absolutely fair. It's it's been a problem. Uh, for years, Jack, it's 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 I mean, the, the backdrop of the problem, the historical setting of it is, you know, even before this recent spike and I say recent spike, you know, going back to, you know, the invention of the iPhone, the invention of social media, you right. can track very, very large increases in the demand for mental health. But it's always been a a specialty within the healthcare industry that was just sort of under favored, not not compensated as well. So it's always been something that was tough to get. And then when you when you pile on top of that, the, um, the just a tremendous spike in demand we've had over the past 12, 15 years, uh, it's, it's exacerbated the problem. So wh- how did that happen? Was it uh, was it a national attitude up until fairly recently that mental health care is kind of, you know, voodoo for the week? I mean, just kind of a, you know, a fake medical field. Um, and so we didn't take it seriously enough. Or what's your theory on that? Yeah, no, I, I think I think your characterization is fair, at least for, you know, maybe part of the country. And it was just I would say, you know, some people viewed it as what you said, you know, voodoo for the week. And others just viewed it as, you know, maybe not as rigorous of a discipline, a little bit more subjective, you mm-hmm. know, not not nearly as important as like setting a bone or removing a tumor. For sure. Example. Sure. That makes yeah. sense. Let me run through so some of these happened. numbers real quick, and then you can comment on it. Um, these are numbers that Craig sent me. By 2025, which is just two and a half years from now, we will be down about 10,500 marriage and family therapists that we'll need but won't have. About 15,000 psychiatrists, which takes, I don't know how many years of school to become a psychiatrist, so you know we aren't going to crank them out soon. We'll be down about 27,000 mental health counselors, 49,000 social workers, 58,000 psychologists, that's a Ph.D., We'll be behind 58,000 of those and 78,000 school counselors that we will not have by 2025. Yeah, that's a crisis. Yeah, it absolutely is. And, you know, if nothing happens in a vacuum, right? So all of the things we've talked about over the past 10 years on your radio show about the problems with healthcare and the fact that government controls more and more healthcare, uh, it, you know, that that's, that's also part of this problem. It, and it, it's, I think I think I have a streak of repeating this statistic every time I'm on your show the last year, but it's very important to remember for those listening for the first time or for those that haven't thought much about it. We, we talk about having a, quote, free, unquote, healthcare system in America, and we really don't. We have an oligopoly, and that's something that's controlled by a few providers, and, and that oligopoly is infected with, with government disease. And that government disease means that if you live in a blue state, Seventy-one percent of healthcare costs are now paid by the taxpayer, 
And that, that blows people's minds because we think about, you know, the private insurance we have at work. But once you add together Medicare plus Medicaid plus Obamacare plus TRICARE plus the VA plus Obamacare subsidies, 71% of blue state health care is paid by taxpayers. And you say, well, gosh, I live in a red state. It's a lot better. No, it's 66%. Whoa, there. I didn't realize. So, you know, let's call it 70-ish on average. Um, uh, if I were, uh, a a lefty who believes in, you know, government taking over all of healthcare, I wouldn't be hiding those numbers. I'd be touting them and saying, look, I don't know if you know this, but 70% of the healthcare is already that. So what are we doing? Yeah, they don't want to do that, though, because when you poll people about how satisfied they are with the healthcare system, those numbers uh, rank down around congressional levels. Oh, really? (laughs) I didn't know that. Oh, okay, if, okay. If you, I see what you mean. Yeah, I see what yeah. you mean. So if you've if got, you, if, you know, if ten. You, if you ask, if you ask, do you like your doctor? That's a very high number. If you like, are you satisfied with current healthcare system? It's very low. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I'm I'm not satisfied with it either, and it's uh, probably I've got the same complaints that everybody else does. Whether it's you know freaking the, the nightmare of just getting the simplest prescription and all that sort of stuff and running everything like that. What's crazy to me is that. How many of y'all believe that if the government ran it, it would be easier somehow? I mean, what is your life experience that leads you to believe that? No, and I did, that's why I wanted to give you just a three specific numbers so you can understand how the government makes it worse. So the, the largest demand we have for mental health right now is among the young. You know, people call them 12 to 25. That's the, that's the biggest demand we have for health care. And, oh, and if I can just jump in here on that, because yeah. I've, I've been in that situation, yeah. and you, you, you know, lot, lots of my friends have. Um, you have a kid who's struggling. I mean, that's a, that's a, you know, you and your wife, you and your husband sitting there at, at night, teary-eyed, what are we going to do with this situation? You finally decide to pull the trigger and get help, and it's like the number one issue on your mind. You're going to dedicate all your time to this the next day, and you get on the phone and you start calling people, and you can't find anybody, anybody with an opening. It's, right. it's awful. That's right, and when, and you know, I, I've, I've helped clients with the issue, and I've been there myself with family members, and, and then if you do find somebody... Maybe they miss your appointment or they don't call you back because they're stretched so yep, thin right. that, that it, they're hard to access. But so when we talk about, well, how, what's the government's role in this? You say, well, OK, the the number one coverage entity for children in America is Medicaid. That's our, 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 our system for the low income. Now, it's always good to remember when Medicaid was first passed in the late 60s, it was designed to cover the bottom 2% of wage earners, it now covers one out of every three children born in America. That's how fast that safety net has grown into a hammock. Wow. So if we look at Medicaid, let's do this. If you, if you, if you need a mental health visit, an integrated assessment, including a history, mental status, et cetera, it's, it's the main CPT code for when you first come in. The average nationwide, and this varies greatly by zip code, but the average cost that the doctor is going to get reimbursed for that visit is $150, Okay. Now, the average doctor visits 175, so you can see mental health is already $25 behind an average doctor visit. But if you need that visit on Medicaid, it's only going to reimburse $105. So you take a system where we already don't have enough providers because the supply is not keeping up. 60% of our practitioners are over the age of 55. They're retiring faster than we're making them. And then you underpay them systematically across the board, and then you more significantly underpay them in the government reimbursement program. You, well, you end up with a, 
a very, very broken supply and demand system, primarily because we don't have a free market. We have a government-infected oligopoly. Uh, that's all very interesting. And every healthcare, mental health care provider or, or a, a you know, therapist, psychologist, whatever that I've dealt with in the last couple of years, there's no insurance involved. They're just taking cash. And right. it's expensive. And I right. don't know how most people, I'm lucky I've got a good job. I don't know how most people can even consider doing that. Um, that's a tough situation to be in. No, that's exactly right. And when you when you when you dig into a lot of these uh, very very troubled young people that commit horrific acts of violence across the nation, a lot of times you find that they don't have the resource for private health. They're relying on that Medicaid system that is systematically under reimbursing and underpaying providers, and so they just don't get the help they need, or they get very very underdeserved help. You know, through maybe a school counselor when they really need a psychiatrist. You know a lot about healthcare, and um, I apologize if I'm asking you something that sets you up to uh, to 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 not know. But um, I've been wondering for a long time. I hear about the mental health system we had back in the day that I guess we un- unwound in the '60s and the '70s because we decided it was too oppressive, and you know people who weren't crazy were being locked up in mental institutions and given lobotomies like Jack Nicholson and all, all that sort of stuff. And so we did away with that. Um, has that been a, a a bad idea in retrospect, do you think? Well, as a libertarian, I'd say no. Uh, you know, and, and, and I, would, I, would, I would tell you that the Armstrong and Getty principle that you guys have espoused over the years of, of society veering from guardrail to guardrail, yeah. going too far one way and then overcorrecting, it, it really applies in that situation where for a period there from the, you know, the mid-1900s, we had, we had a system whereby it was too easy to lock people oh, up. Oh, yeah, was, or, or sterilize yeah. them or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And and um, so do we need to go back that far? Of course not. But have we gone too far the other way where we just we, we view it as compassionate to leave one to his or her own devices on the streets of San Francisco, screaming at a, at a fire hydrant and, and, and defecating in the gutter? Yeah, we've gone too far. And it, society will correct this. I mean, you know, it, it's not all bad news. Some of these these mental health reimbursements are coming up. I mean, this gap I see between what we pay for a doctor visit versus a mental health visit, that gap is shrinking every year. And there is there is, there are efforts both in the industry and at the federal level reimbursement wise to correct it. So I have no I have no real doubt in my head that this will eventually become less of a problem. But of course, it's going to happen a lot slower than we all would like because of the giant federal bureaucracy that gets involved in muddying the waters. Right. And then, man, those numbers that you gave me on the shortage we're going to have in all those different areas of mental health, that's going to be here in no time. And that is... Well, and the demand, Jack, I mean, that's the... You know, just I pulled some of these statistics and most of these statistics look at like the difference between 2005 and 2017. Depression alone for young people is up 50 to 60 percent, depending on which age bracket you look at. Suicidal thoughts amongst young people is up 47 percent over that time frame. So, you, you know, you, you say, well, we're up 50 percent in the need for very serious issues. And that that supply chain is not growing. In fact, well, it might be growing, but it's not growing nearly fast enough to keep up with the demand. And so you have a supply demand problem, but it can't be properly fixed because the government steps in with all kinds of rules and regulations that oftentimes, even ones that are well-intentioned, of course, retard the market and the market can't respond properly. And that's why you end up with a two-tiered health system. I mean, this is where I think liberals really need to get is to say, 
We don't want what we have because what we have is what you just described earlier. Yeah. And that's that the, ha- the people with money can afford the private care and they get it. And the people that rely on these government systems can't. I saw this headline yesterday. The Democrats are facing a political crisis right before the election. You see, the ARP, do you remember that? The American Rescue Plan, which had trillions of dollars of all kinds of different stuff in it. Part of it was a boost in Obamacare subsidies. And that is going to expire right before the election. This is where Craig jumps in and explains what's likely to happen here. Yeah, this is a beautiful one. So uh, Obamacare gives about $60 billion a year to 14 million Americans to buy uh, subsidized health care in the exchanges. What the ARP did a year and a half ago was came in and said, well, that's not enough because Obamacare is not actually keeping prices down. It's just funneling more money into insurance companies from the taxpayer. So during this crisis of the pandemic, what we want to do is give an additional 50% or $30 billion to those people and primarily that money went to people making between 400 and 600 percent of the federal poverty. Level. Really? So that's, yeah. That's, wow. That's a subsidy for a family of four that's making between 110 and 160 thousand dollars. That was the additional government cheese. So of course they put this thing in temporarily, knowing what they always try and do is say, well, we can't take it away now. And um, the beautiful thing is this is going. This is set to expire on January 1st, which means it's going to hit all the Obamacare open enrollments that are occurring this fall, literally days before the midterm elections. You could see, or you will see if they don't fix this, many people in the Obamacare exchanges of those 14 million people are going to see 30 to 50% increases in their monthly premium. Whoa, 50% increase. You would notice that. You would notice that. And, and this is one of those things that they have to get some agreement from the Republicans to go along with this. And so far, they have been unable to do it. Do you think the Republicans, I know you think the Republicans are going to cave on this. Why? Because they always do. And the Democrats are better <laughs> at grabbing the, the Democrats are better at grabbing the media. And the Democrats will spin this is it's because of those evil Republicans with an economy not yet recovered that they're taking away your extra health care dollars. That's how it'll be spun, even though it was passed as temporary band-aid to help not even the low income, the the 400 to 6% of the federal poverty level folks, but Republicans stink at messaging, and that's how it's going to go, I suspect. And that's just the inertia of these things. Read the book, The High Cost of Good Good Intentions. I mean, it's just the way these things always go. Um, Are there a lot of people that, like, are, uh, you know, the the, the crowd you were just describing in terms of income who are using their company's health insurance that if they were going to be smart, they would go on Obamacare? Um, a few people, Jack, not many though, the okay. way that it, the way that it works, um, if you're, if your company offers you affordable care, you are not supposed to qualify for Obamacare subsidies, but that's a little bit muddied the way it works. And some people end up qualifying for right. subsidies anyway, but for the most part, that system is pretty well clamped down. Okay. Hey, thanks for your information as always. Where do people find you if they want uh, some of your brilliance? Uh, at Benny Revolution on Twitter or Benefit Dash Revolution on the old uh, interweb systems. Yeah, you are a good follow on Twitter. Craig Gottwalls, appreciate your time today, Craig. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Jack. 
If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. We are actuaries. In a world filled with unpredictability, we use our math skills to navigate uncertainty. Actuaries make a difference in people's lives across industries and the world. Actuaries have the freedom to work anywhere. And according to U.S. News and World Report, we're the 25th top-paying career. Make an impact as a fact-seeker and a truth-teller. Use your math skills for good as an actuary. The world needs you.